Welcome to the Interop. Today, my guest is Jonathan Karras, founder at Lavana. It's a fully collateralized perpetuals exchange on osmosis, injective, and say. In today's conversation, we will discuss today's launch of the Bitcoin ETF and the market reaction to that news. We'll also discuss Lavana's recent token launch and lessons learned. We'll talk about the recent attack on Lavana, which drained about 10% of TVL. We'll get into what they learned from that attack and how it has been mitigated and how they've recovered. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks ETH won't be the best performer of smart contract platforms in this cycle. And today I'm joined by a special guest co-host, Farmer, who's my go-to DeFi guy in Cosmos. He's a trader and CEO of DeFi Dojo Validator. Hey, Seb, stoked to be here. Great to have you. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes drop every week. Remember that none of what we discuss here on the Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on the Evmos, Quicksilver, Osmosis, and Juno. And you know what? Why not also give some validator love to DeFi Dojo Validator? Just look for us in the active set. My guest, Jonathan Karras, is coming up next, right here on the Interop. We're here with Jonathan Karras from Lavana. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Thanks. Uh, yeah, Madcap Slap. I uh, lead communications at Lavana, and Lavana is a uh, well-funded perpetual swap currently on Cosmos, um, uh, deployed on Osmosis, say, and Injective. Yeah, and I mean, our listeners will know you from your previous uh, appearance here on the podcast, which was back in September. Since then, it's been about four months have passed, uh, lots of... Lots has happened. Uh, the token launched uh, in early December, and recently there was uh, an, an attack and uh, and a relaunch of Lavana, which um, we'll we'll get in, into detail uh, during this conversation. But first, I think we should spend a couple of minutes here talking about uh, the ETF approval. Uh, this yes. just happened I mean, today. Can you believe it? It's a. It has been. I mean, I feel like. I don't know what class you are. I'm like class 2016. And we've been talking about this, you know, the institutions are coming for like, what, like seven years now? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm class of 2014 and uh, institutions were coming then too, right? I mean, um, the, the Wigglebox twins, uh, I think had s submitted their, one of their earlier ETF applications, uh, probably in 2014, but like, at least we're working on it back then, if I remember correctly. And it does feel like institutions have been coming for a long time. And this is finally a moment where like the institutions are not only coming, but they're invited to come and they have direct access. And so I think it's going to be a massive moment. I mean, markets obviously have reacted very positively to this, but I think uh, we we're in for a crazy 2024. I think it's going to be such a massive year for crypto. One of the things that I think is really interesting in terms of the ETF is that um People uh, often compare it to the gold ETF and how gold really became an, it only became an institutional product um, once, you know, an ETF existed and you could just buy it, you know, a, a, alongside, uh, you know, your broker, you could pick up a phone. I mean, I remember being a kid and my father would pick up the phone and, you know, he'd be watching the news or something and he'd, uh, he'd uh, call his broker and tell him to, you know, place a stock order. And, um, 
-hmm. it, uh, you know, that was really the turning point for gold. And one of the, and so there's definitely a lot of comparisons um, to, you know, Bitcoin having its shining moment, um, you know, with the narrative of the upcoming having and, and everything else um, to gold really um, becoming an, an institutional grade product um, with a, a similar listing. And one of the things that I think is so interesting um, is if you compare how the gold industry was impacted by the creation of the ETF, um, it was uh, it was not just a retail moment, but it was an industrial moment for gold. That now mm -hmm. there was a gold, a, a, like a literally a gold rush to be able to. Um, you know, to own more mining, to to optimize mining. And I don't have the numbers offhand, but I saw some reports earlier today um, that gold production went up, uh, you know, significant multiples in the years following the ETF. And if you compare this to Bitcoin, it's like night and day that it doesn't matter how many institutions mine Bitcoin, there's always going to be the same block reward for finding the nonce. Mm -hmm. And we're about to go through the macro Bitcoin cycle with in, in May with the, the halving. And so there's going to be a whole new class of investors that were, uh, that Bitcoin was not within their appetite when it was, you know, on Coinbase or it was, you know, something that, that wasn't being peddled by the same suits that were peddling all the other commodities that they were sweeping up. Um, and then now anyone that went through the, you know, the, 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 the major cycle with gold uh, and understands the correlation between the ETF and the, the increase in, in supply um, will be forced to learn about the, the having narrative and then the inverse relationship of the increase, potential increase in demand or at least increase of availability with the, the, the mirrored aspect of the, the massive uh, decrease in stock. So I think we're in for a wild ride that is, at least in my personal not um, financial advice opinion, has not it's it's not even possible to be priced in because the educational process mm -hmm. um, of the real money hasn't even begun yet. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the most bullish thing coming out of this is all the marketing that is being done right now, pushed out all the commercials we're seeing that are coming out from. Uh, like the most trusted institutions in the world, the institutions that my parents and grandparents would have used over the last hundred years. Like Franklin Templeton changed their Twitter page uh, photo to uh, Ben Franklin with laser eyes. Huge, yeah. I don't even know what any of that means. Uh, I've, I haven't seen a television commercial in, yeah. I don't know, years. But uh, I'm just seeing them on Twitter. But yeah, it's oh, incredible. It. And that, there's just so many like bullish things happening this year. It's just like, I think like the market has reacted like exactly how uh, a lot of people thought. It's like a lot of smart money front ran the narrative. And then, um, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of cool down in Q1. And then after the having just kind of up only. So it's a uh, super exciting time. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it makes yeah. me think of all of the Bitcoin that I, you know, sacrificed over the years, you know, to BitMEX, <laughs> to various, you know, uh, I don't know, send and receive, you know, there was a, there were a lot of mistakes made along the ways. And, uh, but, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see, you know, Bitcoin is still the, the only asset that uh, I, I, I let my kids, uh, you know, buy. So 
it is it's it'll be interesting to see how this uh perform how how it it holds up in their paper wallets and now they can pick up the phone and call their broker and just you know place that order mm -hmm. you know like the <laughs> Pick up their rotary phone and call the broker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just when you were saying your your dad was was out. calling his broker, I could just like imagine like you know a guy in his forties sitting on a couch with a rotary phone, like you know, hey Jimmy, you know, like putting an order for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, it's definitely exciting, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I also think that Q one. Well, we we won't see we won't see the real uh, real market action probably until after the having and um, mm. yeah I think when we do this again next year when we talk in, in a year from now the market will be in a very diff different place and um, in a large part that'll be thanks to to this announcement and um, and all the institutional liquidity coming into the into the space not only in Bitcoin but you know also in other assets as well hopefully yeah um, it, it does seem that. Uh... Most people think that the ETH ETF narrative will start now and that uh, that that's the new hype cycle and the new narrative uh, to push altcoins forward over the next few months. I mean, there's always kind of the, you know, the, 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 I mean, what would this be? This is probably my fourth cycle now. So, I mean, there's always the, you know, money flows into Bitcoin and then they learn about smart contracts and then it flows into ETH and then it flows into alt and then it flows into um, NFTs and then, you know, and somewhere meme coins kind of picks up um, at everything that like kind of, you know, falls to the wayside, of, you know, pouring from one bucket into the next. But uh, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know, is this a contrarian view? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm not particularly bullish um, on ETH being the best performer of the smart contract platforms. Mm -hmm. um, just because I, I believe that the, uh, that it's, it's very hard for ETH to, um, gain new users within retail, um, just because, you know, of the, the I mean, the, the scalability and the, and the price point. So, you know, if I had to put money, uh, and I guess I do, um, into different, um, smart contracts, you know, I would be much more bullish on, um, you know, the Cosmos ecosystem, which has its challenges because Cosmos doesn't necessarily have um, a central token to represent it. I mean, there's Atom, but, um, you know, that's that it's it, Atom is a different beast than when you compare it to like, you know, AVAX or Solana or, or some mm -hmm. of these other um, much more homogenistic uh, uh, tokens, which represent the ecosystems. Yeah, that's interesting. Even uh, even with AVAX, um as they got really congested and busy over the last few weeks, and it's supposed to be like the gaming chain, they uh, transaction fees were up around two hundred or three hundred dollars for one transaction on AVAX. So it I sort of get, like yeah. gets into that, that same like, East right? area where like you know it's not going to be interesting as a gaming chain for like someone to get on and buy a ten dollar skin and then pay a three hundred dollar transaction fee. So I think you're spot on that uh, a lot of retail is going to flow into like Solana and the Cosmos ecosystem. We've already seen that at the beginning of this bull run. Um, you can't continue your narrative if you have massive transaction fees. I think that gaming, probably the, the, the uh, you know, the ZK play amongst, um, you know, Polygon and Immutable is um, in my favorite horse in the race or horses in the race from the gaming perspective. Just because, uh, you know, ZK Tech, which and I, 
I came from that world and I was, I did BD at, at Starkware for, uh, you know, for a while. Uh, and I think that it is um, the most versatile technology to bridge, you know, centralized systems to trustless systems. So it's, you know, but that I get, you know, I think that it's, it's anybody's game at this point to capture value there. So yeah, let's move on to Lavana and specifically, I think you know, we wanted to talk about the last five to six weeks. Um, and uh, you know, before we get into the the attack and the subsequent relaunch of Lavana, want to get a little bit of retrospective on the token launch, which was in early December. Now there were some issues around the token launch, and want to ask you like what you learned from that experience and sort of. You know, what are some of the um, points of advice that you give to other projects that are launching uh, tokens this year? Oh, for sure. I think just in, in recent memory of, uh, you know, token launches that I can recall, it was probably the messiest uh, token launch that uh, has happened, you know, in that I, that, that, in a while. Um, a lot of uh, learning experiences from it. You know, there's, a, there's always going to be uh, drama and, um you know, m mistakes or, or looking back saying like, oh, this, you know, how could that have happened or what? Um, I think that if I would, t I, you know, I've, I've started to put together some thoughts of uh, advice for other projects that want to launch tokens but within the Cosmos ecosystem and within the, um, you know, just uh, just in general in, in 2024. I think that... Um, the the timing of events is really critical. You know, you really have to model um, the flow of the launch and the volatility around the launch. You know, I think it's it's probably safest to if you do have centralized exchanges involved first. Um, if there's like rewards or or airdrops as part of the launch on centralized exchanges, it's probably best to get that out of the way before you start integrating anything on chain, um, because there's going to be a massive amount of volatility associated with that. You know, most projects launch with some type of an airdrop, so it's good to time the airdrop with, uh, you know, uh, with with the DEX listings and not to to separate them, which could be, you know, from an operational perspective, could have a lot of um, merits to it because, you know, teams. I think that, you know, there were people on the Levana team that didn't sleep for like almost a week, you know, or slept maybe two hours a day for for almost a week, myself included, around the time of launch. And then you also have to consider that um, the the launch, because it's such a heavy um, focus, so then it also puts you from a security perspective at a high level of risk because there's it brings a lot of attention to the project, both you know for the good and and the bad. And what it does is um, it you know it it notifies you know potential bad actors that the the team is under fatigue is primarily concentrating on the, you know, on the protocol itself uh, or on the launch itself. Um, and then that, you know, can allow for, um, you know, nefarious actions to occur that, you know, very easily could have been caught under di different circumstances. So I think we saw kind of a, you know, comedy of errors where one mistake, you know, then created more stress and challenges, which then made it easier for multiple mistakes to occur. And, you know, we could yeah, definitely, um, you know, break that down. And then I think there's a whole masterclass, you know, to, to go over and, and, you know, and, and uh, help the next generation to succeed here. Um, 
but it's you know it's it's probably outside of the scope of uh of this call and I'd, I'd probably have to you know put put things down on paper first uh, more eloquently in order to accurately go through you know all of the learnings from it looking back on it now do you wish that you had maybe done something more uh like fully decentralized and left the centralized exchanges out of it totally something like stream swap so i know that i've been using um i use stream swap for two or three of the streams this year and it was like by far my favorite way to launch so the market conditions were horrible so like the launches weren't as good as the founders hoped that they would be but it was a way that i could securely get as many tokens as i wanted uh, or as many as i was comfortable with as long as i was staying in the stream without uh affecting the token price that would happen if the tokens just launched on osmosis or a centralized exchange when there's so low I think so there's a there's a couple different facets to this question. So one is a stream swap itself. Stream swap is a challenging product to use from a compliance perspective. We spoke with the the builders of stream swap. We um, you know spoke with you know uh, you know compliance overseers from a number of different um, areas that were you know very conservative about the the use of stream swap. And we brought this up with the StreamSwap team. It was actually our our first plan was to use StreamSwap, and you know we worked out a, a, I think a very nice strategy that uh, that leveraged that technology because I do think that it's um, I I would say that my favorite is probably Delphi's um, liquidity bootstrapping auction, um, which is very sim similar to StreamSwap, but instead of actually receiving the token, you actually receive an LP token for you know, uh, in in that in Delphi's case, it was for Astroport. So imagine a stream swap where you might put in a stablecoin, um, and then what you get back is a you know a pro rata share of an LP token, which has some type of vesting associated with it. So that was the ideal uh, launch mechanism, in my opinion, which is very similar in structure and price discovery as stream swap. But stream swap is you know you directly um, you know, our, you know, you, you arguably it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's much more of an ICO flavor, um, which, you know, is dependent upon who you ask, um, has, um, you know, you'll get different answers, uh, to, uh, to, to the usability of that. And so very excited to see, um, stream swap grow and, and mature and, and hopefully adopt some of the, the methodology, like what, uh, Delphi had created back on the days of Terra. And I think more recently Vertex, um, which is also an X Terra, uh, project utilized if I'm not mistaken, but, um, yeah, definitely. I'm a huge fan of what stream swap has built. And I agree with you, you know, I've, uh, I've participated in, in some of the, I mean, in one of the, the previous stream swaps and, and it was a wonderful experience. Now, putting to the side, um, the, you know, the, the problem with trying at this stage um, to cut out the world of centralized exchanges is it really cuts you out from the onboarding and from the discovery. Meaning, Levon has been live for six months on Osmosis and is the, um, by far the most successful third-party app that's been deployed on Osmosis. Like, I mean, there's been $1.6 billion worth of trading volume. You know, there's been 16,000 unique wallets that have interacted with it. You know, there's 
been, um, I think, $1.8 million paid out to users on um, Osmosis to, you know, to clarify, not to Osmosis stakers, but actual users of Osmosis um, and a ballpark of that. I don't remember what the exact numbers are. So, you know, in terms of awareness and growth, you know, if our if Levana, one of Levana's goals is to 10x the active user base on Osmosis, and that is one of our active goals, then that can't happen by only being exposed within the walled garden that is Osmosis and is the Cosmos ecosystem. So while we were very you know proud to um, be uh, to mint the token on Osmosis and to be a trailblazer there, uh, we were also very proud to teach a number of exchanges, how to interact with native tokens on Osmosis and, uh, and what does it mean to be a Cosmos, uh, an active Cosmos participant uh, from a DAP perspective, not from an app chain perspective. And personally, I don't believe in the app chain thesis. I think that it goes counter to um, many of the fundamentals of you know, successful startup methodology that doesn't make sense to be both a startup and to run your own infrastructure um, or to pay the overhead um, of, uh, you know, of your own security when you could just rent it. And so it's, uh, I think that what part of what Levana's goal is, is to be a trailblazer, to try things that haven't been tried before, to have kind of zero fear of failure. You know, you can't, it's very hard to do innovative things if you are afraid of failing and Levana's failed many times before and every time that we failed we've just gotten up dusted ourselves off you know spit out the blood and just kept on going forward so that's you know that's our, our general methodology with whatever you know however the you know the project uh, pushes forward so I think that um, while it you know if I if I was to go back as I said before probably um, would have over the course of like a 72 hour period first had the um centralized exchange launch then followed by the airdrop then followed by the dexes um and that wasn't the order that things went in and i think that that you know hindsight is 2020 but i think that ultimately you know if you just look at the the that the core metrics um of the goal of a token launch which is distribution of token holders a uh, you know, a, a comparative, um, you know, uh, a, a relative value, um, you know, amongst peers um, and uh, being able to create a path where the utility of the token is actually uh, can be utilized uh, within the user base that, that cares um, to be an active participant. I think that the, the token launch was a success, you know, so it had a lot of uh, mistakes, but if you look once the dust settled, the token is currently being held by the people that are, are most important uh, to be holders, and the distribution is broad, and the utility, which is being mapped now um, primarily through um, you know, open building, uh, which is another principle that Levana goes through, is that we build a lot in the open. Um, so we do a lot of usability research. We do a lot of, uh, of user feedback. Um, we publish drafts of documents we uh, open it for comments uh, from the community so this feedback that we're getting through this form of open development um, by people that actually are currently holding the token um, has been a really valuable experience from our perspective and uh, we're we're excited to really continue building with the community 
these are great insights. Uh, like I think anybody who's launching a protocol and launching a token should definitely, you know, take uh, take note here uh, on you know some of the lessons. And that I'd be happy to hop here. on a call if there is anybody that you know is is building or thinking of deploying or thinking of minting on Osmosis or you know deciding between AppChain or App, uh, you know, DAP. You know, I would I'd be more than happy um, to hop on a call and to kind of give you the whole rundown um, of the good and the bad and the ugly. Well, I, I will we'll put your Twitter in the show notes so people know where to find you. Let's move on to uh, the attack that happened, um, I guess, just after Christmas. It was like December. Well, it was in phases. There it was, was in a phases, lot of, but what, it started yeah. kind of it, it became public or you guys started uh, publicly announcing that the chain was under attack, uh, I believe on the 26th of December, but yeah, yeah. walk so us through the started, timeline here. Yeah. Yeah. So it started 13 days earlier. It really started with a ransomware attack on Levana, um, where we started seeing, um, you know, DDoS attacks. And then on the 17th, we were approached by multiple individuals that said that they were responsible for, you know, shutting down indexers, shutting down the front end, shutting down bots. And uh, they, you know, wanted essentially to, you know, I mean, it was a ransom. So they wanted to get paid to stop attacking. And uh, so that, you know, we were in the process of attempting to resolve those issues while at the same time attempting to, um, plan the, uh, you know, the, the, the to, to push through with the token launch. And uh, there was a little bit of COVID on the team involved in there. So that didn't make things easier. But uh, then by the, the morning of the 26th, um, it was very clear that uh, what was, you know, happening, which we before the 13th, um, LP pools uh, were traders were losing more than they won. So from the beginning of the, you know, the launch of the protocol, which I believe was on July 16th, up until December 13th, you know, the average traders, I think had a 48% success rate, um, you know, meaning that they lost slightly more than they won. And so that Delta, you know, was a, an extra um, APR lining the LPs. And then on the 13th, it shifted and the success rate, uh, average success rate of the traders just started going up, 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 up until it was like, you know, I mean, until it like hockey sticked. And then that was, uh, you know, and, and looking back on it in, in hindsight, um, you know, that there, there should have been, I think that if, uh, if, well, um, you know, again, in hindsight is always 2020, but there, there were definitely ways that we could have been better prepared, um, moving up, you know, just having the forethought that, you know, as we move into the token launch, um, you know, the team is going to be spread thin and that's going to expose us to attacks and then kind of coupling, you know, that you know, if there's DDoS attacks, maybe those are distractions, maybe those are part of, you know, something more nefarious, but ultimately what it led to, um, was on the, um, 26th there was a massive uh, attack where, you know, over half a million dollars uh, was drained from the LP pools on Levana. Not all LP pools, just specific ones. And prior to that, the, you know, over another 12-day period, um, a similar amount. So they had slowly bled for about 12 days, um, you know, trying to just 
keep the keep us dis distracted you know as we went into the token launch um you know kind of like on uh you know wild goose chases with you know the, the various ransom attacks and then they went in for the kill on uh the 26th and from what we can understand their their goal really was to drain the entire lp and because of numerous mitigations safety measures that were in place all they were only able to drain about 4% on that day so about 12% about 12 days it took them to drain um 5% and then um in about i'd say you know a few hours they were able to drain another 4% so it was roughly about 10% in total okay. um Wow. So this this happened over uh, about a two week period. Meanwhile, they were keeping you keeping your attention occupied somewhere else by DDoSing uh, some of the back end infrastructure while at the same time, like draining the pools. Well, and it was it actually ended up being that the DDoS attack um, was what enabled the, uh, the the on chain attack as well. Uh, so I can walk through that, you know, in, in I can walk through through that in in detail. Uh, which which pools were targeted, and is there like anything interesting to learn from that? Like any specific types of collateral or anything like that? So, you know, specifically like a liquid stake token as collateral might be more volatile than uh, a large cap token. So I was just wondering if like that had anything to do with it, or if it was just the attack. Uh, so the, the, I mean, the, the largest ones, you know, when they went in, the first ones that they started with over, you know, the, the 12 day period were the smaller cap, um, synthetic markets. And I think that those were just less frequently used. You know, some of them, you know, had, you know, less than 50 K TVL in them. So those, it was just, I think those were just kind of, that was the learning experience from the attacker. Um, and then, you know, the, the majority of the uh, losses were, if I recall correctly, were to the, uh, the Bitcoin, ETH, Atom, and ST Atom pools. But we've got, uh, you know, we, we haven't, there's still more work to be done um, to go through all of the transactions. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a non-trivial task to go through all the non-trivial uh, transactions over those 13 days and to analyze, you know, each of the open, close and update orders and say, was this a legitimate actor like trader? Um, or was this um, more, was this likely to be a malicious actor? So there are, um, you know, you, there are seven wallets that profited significantly and about nine wallets in total that, you know, seem to be involved in the, in the attack. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still important to be able to, if you're looking at this in terms of the impact on the protocol, it's important to overlay that with that the time period that the attack happened of these 12, you know, 12, 13 days was also a time at the be very beginning of the bull run, which uh, when you have a system with counterparty vaults, you know, that just like how bear markets make counterparty vaults, you know, very wealthy. You know, we saw even like some of the counterparty vaults, you know, earned like 12% interest like a month. So that's a, in addition to the fees that they were being paid. So that was like triple digit APRs. So also they can get haircuts, you know, during times where there's, you know, quick bull runs because it is a zero sum, you know, game that, uh, you know, trader wins have to be somebody else's losses. The system is designed to not, you know, to prevent insolvency. So what um so i think that you know they 
again, they went after some of the easier targets, the less popular markets when they were um, in the experimental phase. And then when they actually went in for the kill to just try and, you know, to get everything, they, they went for the largest uh, liquidity pools. So in terms of, uh, so about 10% of the pools were uh, affected. 10% of the TVL. T sorry, 10% of the TVL uh, was was affected. How many transactions yep. are we talking about here? Uh, have you been able to account for all, I mean, for most of the transactions, I suppose, but how, how many transactions are we talking about? It was, I don't know the order of magnitude. Uh, so I'm just going to throw a dart out there and say, you know, tens of thousands to low hundreds of thousands of transactions. Wow. Okay. That's, but that's, that's, that's purely conjecture. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's somebody else on the team that's, you know, that's, that's a more hands-on, um, you know, and most of the, uh, we've kind of split up the, you know, the recovery into a few different phases. So one is get back, uh, is to fix the problem and get outside feedback about um, the mitigation to the problem. And then to get the markets back up online um, and then to continue with the progress, um, which was our you know existing roadmap, which was to um, define the token economics, build out uh, the LVN token staking, um, build out governance, uh, and then launch the utility of the protocol. And then once we've launched the utility of the protocol, so then we'll be able to do an airdrop um, to the LPs that were affected. Um, you know, and it's, uh, the details of that are, are, uh, are still vague at this point in terms of timeline and, and exactly what will be the, the terms and eligibility, you know, but the goal is to, you know, to, 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 to soften the sting, you know, as, as, as much as possible. Hmm. And that, you know, a lot of that is just, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at a timeline of around Q2 of this year, we think we'll be, uh, ready to, you know, complete a process of review, you know, of, uh, of analysis of, you know, separating legitimate transactions from malicious transactions, and then also, um, you know, being able to do a, a, an airdrop focus on uh, the LPs of the, uh, during that time period. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the staking and token economics plan a little bit later. I, I'd like to dig into the, the how this attack works. So uh, this is an attack that doesn't, I mean, the, the idea here isn't to uh, find vulnerabilities in the smart contract, but what this attack does is it leverages oracles in order to uh, to benefit from a discrepancy in price. And there's there's other sort of mechanics to the attack, but I'd like you to describe just how this attack works and how it involves uh, the external oracles that you use. At, I believe it's Pith. Yep. And I first want to, you know, say that, you know, Pith did a great job. You know, Pith uh, worked exactly how it was designed to work. You know, Pith is a great partner. Um, and so I don't want to mislead or throw anybody else under the bus here. Um, the way that the attack works is that there's a concept of staleness of price updates. You know, the, the, the blockchain doesn't know anything outside of itself. Um, and a blockchain needs to have information pushed to it. There's no, a blockchain doesn't pull. And so what um, was, uh, you know, what, what happened, uh, what happens uh, with uh, price abstantiation, I think that's how you say it in English, um, is that Pith will sign a price at a price point off chain 
and then anybody can take that price point with their signature and then write and then essentially write it on chain into Pith's Oracle contract. And then now that block, uh, which on in osmosis is a, is you know is, is a six second block, um, roughly, that block um, will now include this specific price point. Now it could also be a historical price point um, with some type of staleness to it. And what we saw at Lavana was that just through regular use under normal circumstances a price point could, a, a normal user could take about a minute and a half to, you know, to get out their ledger, to approve it, to connect their wallet, to unlock their wallet, um, and to, you know, to put an order on chain. Now, um, there are bots which are community run and, uh, and, and also run by the Lavana uh, core contributors, which update the prices on chain um, on osmosis far more frequently or with a goal of far more frequently. And, um, and so what, uh, what was a big part of the, um, of the attack and I'll tell, first I'll describe how the attack works. Imagine that I imagine that there's a point of high volatility and I can write an order. I see that 30 seconds ago, 60 seconds ago, um, sometime within the staleness window, um, there was a 1% price move. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's not going to happen all the time, but, but, it, you know, it happens, you know, crypto will run. So I see that previous price point and, um, I see the current price point and I see that there's a Delta. So now if I can, um, issue within two simultaneous blocks, this old price point, which is within the staleness um, uh, time frame, meaning it's it's not going to be rejected because it's too stale. So if I can, I can print this to the chain along with my order, which then gets, you know, the opened at this price and the direction that I know, because I know that the current price is up here, um, then within kind of that 12 second window, I can both open a position at a low price um, and then next block close a position at a higher price. And I will deterministically know whether or not that delta of those two price points, um, which I both created on chain, will result in more profit than the fees that I had to pay in order to perform those actions. Now, if the profit deterministically is greater than the fees, then that becomes a risk-free trade. And now it, what also needs to happen is that because I'm not using the price point here, I'm actually using a price point over here. Let's say that this was like a 30 second or 60 second time window. I just need to make sure that nobody else, no other users of Lavana, nobody else on the Osmosis blockchain, that Pith, that nobody else is um, interfering or intercepting my two price points by publishing, you know, like let's say that there were 10 blocks, but you know, but from when this price point should have gone on chain um, to when I actually place the order. 
So now I need to make sure that that nobody else during those 10 blocks publishes an updated price because then I'll lose that uh, that low um, historical price. And you achieve that so, just by by kind of front running any other attempts uh, by offering a higher transaction fee? Is this how that works? No. So that's so um, there isn't. So it's uh, um, I'm not sure if it's Tendermint or it's it, I don't I'm not sure where to from the architectural point um, to answer this question, but it is a it's a FIFO system. It's not um, a it's not a right. A, it's not yeah. a market based system. Right. So that, that's correct. So um, Tendermint is a FIFO system as opposed to say like Ethereum, where if you pay more, you know, transaction fees, then, you're, then you can front run. So the front, front running run. has other you know uh, methods, but um, but you know, and 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 front running is also can be very expensive, and um, and so. What happened also, uh, you know, so, so no, it's just really what you have to do is, is knock the bots offline. Um, and then, you know, disrupt, like, let's say that you, you let's be say first. that you, you just got whatever it takes you to be first. So you, you, you DDoS all first, the bots. Be first and only. Yeah. You know? Okay. First and only. Yeah. Yep. So I need to be first and I need to be only. So now one of the other things is, is that, um, after the Celestia launch, um, Osmosis did something really awesome, which I think, you know, shows and they did, you know, then and, and Skip, I think, plays a role in this is that they introduced a scaling fee structure that when congestion increases, um, fees increase as well. So this um, adjust for like the FIFO system that um, that you have to pay more during times of congestions, which you know, it was great. You know, that's how toll booths should work. That's how, you know, that's how the free market works. Um, you know, water costs more in the desert, you know, than it does on a tropical island. Um, and uh, so what you end up with is, uh, uh, what, what we found on the 26th was that, um, that many native user transactions um, were unable to go through because of um, idiosyncrasies amongst various nodes in terms of gas price optimization, uh, gas price estimate. Yeah, I was just wondering if like you've heard or are interested or excited about any of the other like Oracle solutions that are uh, Cosmos based and if that would be better and prevent this or uh, not. So I know like you mentioned Skip, they have talked about building a proprietary Oracle uh, on Osmosis and I know like Umi already has an Oracle OHO, um, although I'm not sure it has uh, the amount of information that you would want to be. Is the is the issue with oracles that like Pith has so much more information so that you can scale more quickly to like uh, newer chains to have more information? Or do you think it's a better product in general? Um, I think Pith is a great product. I also think that uh, that Umi's OHO Oracle is also a great product and we're excited to integrate that as well. Um, you know, we announced, I think about two months ago, you know, that we're interested in working with them. There's two methodologies. Oracles can be written, Oracle price, uh, you know, updates can be written to the chain either as part of block production, just natively built in to the blockchain. You know, that's what, that's what, uh, Terra had say has that, um, you know, a few other chains in Cosmos have that, or it can be pushed in 
um, you know, by third-party actors. Um, you know, in the case of Oho and and Pith, it's through third-party actors like Levana, Levana users, Levana bots, Levana bot operators, etc. Now, the difference um, there is that blocks can miss uh, price updates. Uh, you know, and then you can get these types of you know precognition attacks, and um, and I don't think that a different oracle with the same implementation as the push to chain through third through non-block producers uh, solves this particular problem. There are ways. You know, we're currently live with Pith uh, with the mitigation in place. And I can talk a little bit more about how the mitigation works, but the uh, you know so there's ways to solve this with Pith, uh, but the you know skips approach, which is let's just put Oracle price feeds at the head of every block, and we'll have um, you know a decentralized uh, you know group of validators that are agreeing on prices. Um, I think that's a great solution, but it's always going to be more limited in its versatility. You know that means that if you want to get um, you know, it's much easier for Pith to just say, oh, guys, you know, there's um, a new market. Let's just throw that in. And now anybody can pull that price feed in. And they have literally hundreds of prices. It's not realistic, at least as far as I understand, to expect to fit at the head of every block, you know, potentially thousands of price assets. And Levon is an acronym for leverage any asset. And uh, and so the challenge there is that how do we build something where we want to leverage any asset where the on-chain um, canonical oracle might only have five assets or 10 assets. Now, I think that it need not be either or. You know, the, those 10 assets that um, that Skip will be producing onto Osmosis are a huge benefit because they'll be the 10 most popular assets or they'll yeah. be the 50 most popular assets or the 100 most popular assets. So regardless, that's a great solution. I mean, but wouldn't, it wouldn't, really Osmosis in... just be, wouldn't it be beneficial for Osmosis just to include the price of all of the assets that it is itself, uh, that, that you can trade on Osmosis? I mean, that would just like at least cover all of the, I mean, all of the Cosmos uh, sure, but Lavana has also. Doge markets and Solana markets, right. and you know we've got the Great British Pound and Euro and all these other markets. So, so yes, it makes sense for Osmosis to um, include those, you know, all the assets that that trade or at least that trade popularly um, on the Osmosis decks. But I think that that's going to be a subset of the assets that uh, users want to have, you know, to, to be able to trade within leverage markets and to be able to short and hedge and things like that. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Uh, what do we learn from this attack? I mean, what are the main so what, takeaways here for Levana, but I mean, also just for DeFi protocols that leverage oracles? I think that you have to decouple uh, oracle updates from position updates. That's what we, that that's the mitigation that we um, that we took and, and we didn't even need to invent it. You know, synthetics had been through this road with a, um, you know, very, uh, similar hack, um, you know, a few years ago. So, you know, farmer, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about the Oracle thing before I, I jump into the mitigation. 
No, that was interesting. That that clarified a lot of questions for me. And it makes a lot of sense. Like Osmosis isn't going to run an oracle that, you know, does the price of corn and wheat, you know, which or oil. And, you know, and that ends up being uh, something really interesting to 50 and 100x uh, leverage traders. So or even just like some random meme coin on like, you know, it could be like some weird blockchain does a meme coin. It goes crazy and people want to have instant leverage, uh, you know, access to it. Well, and the irony of like using the decentralized system is that, um, it really, it becomes less decentralized from you because then users can't list any asset that they want because that's the end game, right? Is that like a protocol or a user could create permissionlessly, their own Levana pool, seed it with their own money, and then people could start trading that asset leverage without any permissions from Levana or Osmosis. That's the goal. You know, ultimately, what we want is um, is to be the the Uniswap of, of leverage trading, and it's probably mm-hmm. I would estimate it's about we're probably about three years away from that. You know, so but but that's that's the goal that we want to get to. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um there's a lot of governance that needs to be done. You know, the the you know the 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 I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of work. There's a lot of uh like PIDs that you know um like automatic um there's a lot of customization for each market in terms of you know the artificial slippage, the fee structure, um the 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 max amount of delta neutrality um, uh, that that market is available uh, is able to to take on in one direction. So a lot of those things um, are done by you know Lavana architects and third party ar- architects uh, that we work with. And so we'd want to create one of our goals is to create a methodology where you know you could really plug in a coin gecko chart and then it will just analyze and then, you know, wrap, you know, uh, and, and, and configure all of these things without the need for like the white glove treatment, what we have today. So since this has happened, uh, you, I mean, the, 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 the protocol was markets were offline for some time over new years, uh, but they're starting to come back online again. Can you talk about the mitigation and then the relaunch, uh, which I believe, I believe all markets are back up now. Correct. Yep, all markets are back up. I think it's twenty-seven markets, might be twenty-six markets. I just count again. So all markets are back up. We've been fully live for twenty-four hours. Um, we people missed us. You know, I had numerous people that just said like that wrote to us and were like, "Oh, we're so happy to see you. So glad that you know that there was a lot of positivity." So it was very nice to see that. Currently clocking. million of trading volume in the last 24 hours. How much much was that before, uh, before all this? Like what was your average trading day? Um, average day, depend on the day of the week and the volatility of the market. It could have been anywhere from low days were $5 million to high days were, you know, $50 million. But, um, you know, and then obviously when the attacker came in, they, you know, they just, you know, when, when, you know, when you can pick every trade as a win, so their trading volume like shot up. Mm. Uh, but, uh, I, I would say, you know, spitballing kind of like 15 to 20 was our average. So I think that that shows that the core user base of Levana, you know, has been patiently waiting, you know, since, I mean, we were, what is December 26th until today? Um, you know, what is that? That's, that's five plus, uh, plus 11, 
Um, so 16 days, uh, the protocol uh, wouldn't allow for any new open orders. The protocol was running uninterrupted the entire time. It's just until there was um, a, you know, until there was, uh, you know, a, a fix to the Oracle, the precognition attack, no new open orders were, were um, available. What happened to existing orders that were open throughout the entire uh, process? I mean, they, you know, the, the, they didn't pose any, any risk, you know, because once an order is open for, you know, a few minutes, the whole concept of precognition doesn't mean anything. Um, and so what, uh, so those, some of those orders, you know, closed, I mean, users could just interact with the protocol like normal. They could close them. They could, um, you know, we didn't allow for updates because updates was also, you know, there's plenty of ways to kind of you know, finagle it that updates is, you know, essentially making a new order. So they had the option of just keeping it open or closing it. And so many people, you know, kept their orders open throughout the entire time period if, if the market moved in their favor. Um, but, you know, many people, you know, closed uh, at the time that they felt right. And and trigger orders, you know, stop losses and take profits were also uh, functional, um, at, at least as far as I'm aware, um, during this time period. So many people just, you know, were, if, if the market ran and you had a stop loss, you know, that stop loss, you know, saved your butt. And in the same way, if you take profits, you know, uh, the take profits made, you know, uh, made you a Chad. So what I, um, so about 10% was, uh, taken from the pools and I, I thought it was a lot more than that originally. So I think that's great that it was like stopped and found, uh, within that amount of time. So I think well, actually, the system protected itself. It wasn't, you know, uh, because there were there's a few safety measures that just kind of go into um, into Levana. There's a max amount of open interest, you know, uh, disbalance, uh, imbalance um, that you can have, mm -hmm. and you can't. Um, you also can't interact with other trader wins. So we silo each. Um, trade position. So the attacker was actually competing with other traders, uh, you know, if, and, and that's also why they became so aggressive at trying to block anyone else from using the protocol because they wanted to, to, to make sure that they got um, as much of the uh, open interest as possible. But yeah, you know, I think, look, thank God this, uh, you know, some, many, many protocols, um, the, with far more TVL than 10, you know, 10, 12 million bucks have suffered far more cataclysmic, um, you know, uh, awful, um, you know, exploits. Uh, and I think that that was just a testament to a lot of the safety features that were just built into the protocol itself. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say the fast response, uh, you know, cause 12, 13 days is not a fast response time, but, uh, once it became very clear that the, that all of these pieces kind of tied together, you know, on-chain congestion, uh, off-chain DDoSing, you know, and the, the precognition attack, once these kind of, um, the, the, once, um, it became clear that these things were all related, then, uh, you know, the, you know, various, uh, um, operators were able to put on emergency modes, which was also great insight that these emergency modes were just part of the smart contracts, even with the subtlety of just, just stop open orders. Just as long as you stop open, like new open orders, 
Um, you don't have to eject everything. You don't have to, you know, mess with anybody that, you know, like previously had a position and was in profit, et cetera. Just prevent new open orders from, from occurring. So that was, uh, you know, that was, that, that was the, 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 I think a big part that uh, prevented, you know, uh, a really, really nasty event from occurring. Um, not to say that it wasn't nasty. To, to go into um, the mitigation, now there's complete decoupling of price updates and um, order updates. So creating an order, updating an order, closing an order, uh, they come on chain without any uh, interaction with a specific price. They go into a queue and then they're popped FIFO through a queue um, and then paired with a future price update. And the price update has to both be not stale and um, be later than the position that was created on chain. And this has some fundamental you know, uh, principles to it that even if an attacker controlled the entire chain, they still would not be able to deterministically um, create profit. And now, obviously, there's things that they could do to you know, mess with the odds in their favor, but it, then it would be just pro a probabilistic attack, which is far different because you have, um, you know, it's always with blockchain, it's always challenging, um, you know, because at the end of the day, if you say, oh, I can control the, I can control every aspect of the chain. So then you do have a lot of control, but, um, but to ensure that there's nothing deterministic that allows for them to be able to win is, uh, you know, is a, is a big uh, is is a huge improvement to the security of the protocol. And we were very, you know, I was very excited to see the team and, you know, in less than three weeks, be able to get that out, get it independently reviewed um, and, uh, you know, get it to test it and then into the market. That's awesome. Uh, well, wh while we have a few more minutes, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, and of course, like none of this stuff is going to be nailed down and you're not promising anyone anything, but um an obvious way to incentivize TVL and Levana would be to uh, add LVN tokens to the already existing APR. And then the higher the TVL, then the higher the trade volume and whales could come in. Um, exactly. Another interesting thing uh, I'd like to ask about is like DAO or some sort of staking mechanism that you all are thinking about. Uh, different ways for governance, but as well as I'm sure people are interested in uh, how they can earn protocol liquidity through staking. Yep. So currently you can earn LVN tokens via staking to two pools on Osmosis, the, Os uh, the Osmo LVN pool or the LVN USDC pool. Uh, we do have pools on Astroport on, say, an injective, and those will be um, incentivized in the future. And then in addition, we're, you know, we've been talking with both the DowDow and the um, enterprise teams to get um uh you know to get uh staking and governance voting um and ultimately you know the protocol is as many perps are is incredibly profitable um and we're very excited you know to have functional you know active governance you know in the future which we're you know our target is to roll out sometime by end of Q1 you know you know uh, mid Q2 and where the you know the the protocol revenue um, is governed by the stakers who are then earning APR, which can be both you know be both uh, inflationary APR you know through token emissions 
um, and the non-inflationary APR um, through the actual you know fees that are collected by the protocol. And that's you know ultimately the the details of that are going to be worked out through governance. But I think that the structure that we have, looking at the osmosis taker fees, looking at Kajira um, APR, um, looking at you know Mars's fees going to Mars stakers, um, Astroport, you know uh, using their fees to buy back Astro token and then distribute that to staking rewards. Um, there's you know there's a lot of different subtle ways to you know to um, uh, align incentives, and Levon is very excited to to climb on the, the shoulders of giants of of these great protocols that have come before us, but to also be a trailblazer at the same time. Well, it sounds like um, you know, despite everything that's happened, there's a there's a positive outlook for Levana, which uh, which is great to hear. I mean, a lot of times when these things happen, you know, we've seen a lot of protocols go through you know, attacks or go through some hardships and never really recover from, from those. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like this is the case here. You know, trading volume is up. Uh, the community I think is supportive. And, uh, and, and so that leads me, I guess, to the question of trust. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to you know gain the trust of users and, and especially when something like this happens, uh, to to recapture that trust, you know, why why do you think that um, users and traders, you know, sort of have uh, kept their trust in Levana and you know are, are eager to come back to the platform because like, you know, there are risks here, right? And and um, and, uh, and absolutely, yeah. I think it's um, you know, first of all, uh, perpetuals and leverage trading is a um, you know, is a risk on. Uh, environment. And so I think to some extent, you have to have platform risk as part of your calculation. You know, when you're, look, when you go 30 long on some altcoin, like uh, the risk tolerance has to be relatively high. And I think that Levana has done a good job of just being open and communicative. Uh, and, you know, we've, there were updates multiple times a day, every day on Discord, um, you know, answered lots of direct messages. Um, and I think we're also just resilient. You know, we've been building Levana for three years now, um, you know, raised over $15 million. We've got, you know, now multiple years of runway. You know, the team is like seasoned. You know, we cut our teeth on the Terra crash and, you know, we, we tried to launch on Juno and that, you know, kind of did its own thing. And so I think it's just, um, you know, it's Levana is a very, like any dragon, is a very hard beast to kill. And so I look forward to, you know, the year of the dragon, which is starting in a, in a couple months. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've just got, you know, we've uh, whatever, whatever the, the world throws at us, we're just going to keep on building. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Thanks so much for coming on again and walking us through the attack and sharing lots of great insights as well. I think there's a lot, 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 lot of good nuggets in here. I think this will be a good episode so to much. chop up into clips and, uh, and share on the internet and farmer. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me uh, as a guest co-host here. I think, um, yeah, you did a great job and, uh, love to do this again sometime. <laughs>